Listener Production. In this briefing, the story of Mark Springer, who had to go to Switzerland to die. Watching someone in so much pain is just a terrible thing. We, we were in Switzerland. It was an extremely peaceful process. My mother was holding his hand. I was just rubbing his shoulders. And um, in, in 30 seconds, he was asleep. That's David, whose brother Mark suffered immensely from multiple sclerosis. In this episode, we'll find out how every state in Australia now has legal voluntary assisted dying, but the access criteria is so restrictive that it still wouldn't have helped Mark Springer. We'll find out why that is as his brother David calls for change. First, here are today's headlines. It is Friday, the 1st of December. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here with you and welcome to summer. It is Friday, December the 1st. Well, the ceasefire in Gaza has officially been extended for another day with just minutes before the previous ceasefire was due to expire. Israel's military confirmed the truce with Hamas, allowing some further hostages and detainees to be released and the possibility of a more durable pause in hostilities. Reportedly, this extension is only set to last for 24 hours. This hasn't been confirmed by all parties. Uh, So far, Hamas has released two more hostages. More are expected to come. One of the hostages they released is 21-year-old Mia Shem. You might remember her um, because she was in the first hostage video that was released by Hamas and she was abducted from the Supernova Music Festival. And uh, this extension now brings the total number of days of the ceasefire to seven. And it was an emotionally charged day in the witness stand for Brittany Higgins yesterday as she was cross-examined as part of the Learman defamation case against Network 10 and journalist Lisa Wilkinson. So Mr Learman's barrister, Stephen Wybrow, who's the same lawyer who cross-examined her in last year's criminal trial, challenged her on discrepancies in her accounts about whether she was wearing underwear that night, how she got the bruise on her leg, why she didn't go to the doctor after the alleged assault, and whether her lucrative book deal incentivized her to lie. Now, Brittany Higgins hit back several times at one point saying the suggestion she was lying was insulting. She also promised to donate the remaining proceeds of the book to charity. As further questioning continued with Brittany Higgins in tears, uh, Network 10's barrister, Matthew Collins, King's Counsel, said he was concerned about the welfare of the witness and the court adjourned for nearly 15 minutes. Now, we have to remember, Katrina, that the previous criminal trial um, was aborted due to juror misconduct and there were no findings against Bruce Learman, but the retrial didn't go ahead because of concerns about Brittany Higgins' well-being. And there we saw yesterday again, she was in the stand being challenged by the same barrister. Elon Musk. Well, 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 back in the headlines again. He's now slammed advertisers for pulling out of working with X, formerly Twitter. At an event in New York, he accused companies, including Disney, Apple and Comcast, that they've joined an advertising boycott and they're trying to blackmail him. If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f*** yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. (laughs) So he's referring to Bob Iger. When when he's talking about Bob, yeah, he's reportedly referring to the Disney chief executive, Bob Iger, who spoke at that event earlier in the day. 
So to give you some backstory to this, some firms and companies have paused advertising on X. Elon Musk um, interacted with a user on X last week and um, he, he appeared to back an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. And now, you know, he's kind of making out that that boycott has nothing to do with him, even though he said that that was a really dumb thing to do, the way that he interacted with that user. And he's kind of walked his, you know, approval of that conspiracy theory back. But apparently it's everyone else's fault now. Mm. He also went to Israel and met Benjamin Netanyahu um, because of this whole saga as well. So um, just goes from bad to worse at X, doesn't it? Yeah, look, and, you know, the fact that um, I didn't think it would work that well, but Instagram's meta threads has seemed to have taken off. I think it's filling the vacuum that's been left by the very clunky transition from Twitter to X. There's an alternative out there now. Elon Musk might do better than telling <laughs> telling big company bosses to go F themselves. Yeah, might not win them back. And there's some pretty... um wild royal news around um, overnight. So an investigation is now underway because uh, two senior royals have been named in a book called Endgame. So to wind this one back as well, um, you might remember in the Harry and Meghan Oprah Winfrey interview in 2021, um, Meghan claimed that at least one member of the royal family had had conversations with Harry about their child's skin colour. Remember this? concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. There is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be. Potentially and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. Yeah. So since that moment, there's been speculation about who the senior royals involved in that conversation were. And this week, a a really strange situation has emerged where a new book called Endgame came out. And in the UK version, the senior royals involved in that conversation were not named, even though it was discussed. But in the Dutch translation, they were named. So earlier this week, those books were pulled from the shelves in the Netherlands and pulped. And the names hadn't been leaked until last night when British journalist Piers Morgan revealed it was King Charles and Kate Middleton who were named in the Dutch version of the book. So weirdly, the author of this book, Omid Scobie, claims he never put the names of the royals in his version of the book and has no idea how they got into the Dutch versions, Katrina. I just, I mean, you know, he's also said like, I didn't even put their names in the draft. So I have no idea, you know, how how this all happened. He, He also claims though that Fleet Street journalists have known the names of these royals for years. They've just chosen never to release them. I look at this and I go, how much publicity has this guy got already for this <laughs> book that hasn't even been released yet? I smell a bit of a publicity stunt. It's got us all talking, hey, but but it is a shock to hear these names. Yeah, and I mean, they haven't responded yet in classic um, Buckingham Palace style, but maybe they're going to have to say something about this. What an awkward and tricky conversation. I mean, Scobie himself has said that he's never used the word racist and that his book refers to unconscious bias. So, mm. um, yeah, a, a very nuanced and delicate conversation to be had all round. All right, that's it for our headlines. Our next conversation is a, is a very intense but important one. And just to let you know, it does include discussion of suicide. Suicide. 
So there's been a huge change in Australia, a revolution basically, but it's been so slow and staged across each state that many of us haven't really noticed that it's happened. But now, in every single state in Australia, we have voluntary assisted dying laws. The debate raged on for ages and it was very intense. It was really controversial. Finally, it was 2019 where Victoria's laws came in and then one by one, each and every other state did it. New South Wales finally did it this week when its laws came into effect. The thing is, the laws are very careful, partly because it was so controversial. So the eligibility criteria means that only people with a terminal illness that's expected to kill them within six months or 12 months for a neurodegenerative disease can access this program. In Queensland, it's 12 months in either case. Now, David Springer's brother, Mark, had multiple sclerosis and was living in immense pain, but he wouldn't have fit that criteria. So they had to go to Switzerland last year to end his life. David's here to tell the story and argue for change. David, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. No worries, Tom. How much pain was Mark in towards the end of his life? Yeah, he was in a lot of pain. So he was diagnosed with MS at the age of 40 and he ended his life at 48. So only eight years of it, but um, it was a lot of pain. He would describe it as pouring a jug of boiling water down one side of his head. Mm. And that was basically just constant pain. So in those years that he was in pain towards the end of his life, there was movement around Australia to bring in these voluntary assisted dying laws, but not in the state that you were in, New South Wales. Exactly. So how hard was it to make that decision to go to Switzerland to end his life? Well, for the family, it was very, very hard. Um, For Mark, it was extremely easy. So he had been talking about suicide for a long time, coming to me, asking me if I can help him source a gun for example. Um, so, you know, that that's very confronting. So hard for the family, but as soon as we booked those tickets, that was the happiest day of his life. And he was on a countdown then, couldn't wait. So tell me about that trip. How, how hard was it, say, compared to being, if you could do it here, how challenging and expensive was it yeah. to go and do it over there? It, it was very hard. So it, it took me many months of planning um, so, so all up the cost was about 50,000, um, about half of that went in business class tickets. We, we <laughs> thought we'd better go, um, out with a bang. Um, and, and he couldn't obviously have traveled, um, economy mm. to Switzerland to make matters worse. It was, uh, during COVID. So that made things very difficult as well, getting over there. So the logistics of it was, was quite difficult. Um, and it would have been so much better to do it in Australia. Mm nice and easy. So of the $50,000, how much was spent on the actual process? Procedure. Procedure. Yeah, that, that was that was twelve to 15000 to get that done. Okay, so a lot has changed in this space. Yeah. In, in the last few years, one by one, every single state in Australia has come on board and introduced voluntary assisted dying laws, yep. still the two territories to go. Yes. New South Wales, your state, yes. was the last. The last. So that's just happened in November. Exactly, exactly. Just the other day, which which is is fantastic. It's it's a really good start. Um, but to me, it needs to go further, not just in New South Wales, but across Australia. Mm. So just to remind our listeners, the criteria to be eligible for this, you need to have an illness or medical condition that's expected to cause death within six months 
or 12 months if it's a neurodegenerative disease. Yes, correct. So you you think that is too tight an eligibility because it wouldn't have applied to your brother. No, exactly. So Mark wouldn't have wouldn't have been eligible. Uh, MS is is not a fatal disease. So so people with MS will live 10 to 15 years um, less than you and me basically. Right. So it, it's it's a life of pain. These new laws fantastic and a really good start, but so much more needs to be done. So it should be more around the degree of suffering, perhaps? I think it probably should be. Watching someone in so much pain is just a terrible thing. We, we were in Switzerland and the day before looking for something to do and we thought, okay, we'll, we'll go out into the town and have a little wander around and do some sightseeing. But having a grown man on the streets of Basel in Switzerland mm. crying from pain saying, I need to go home, is just, you know, it's heart-wrenching to see. Mm. Ultimately, do you really think anyone should be able to access this if yes, they want to? Yes, I personally think anyone should be. It was an extremely peaceful process. You know, there is so much suicide going on. Uh, so my brother Mark worked as a wardsman in a hospital and he mm. saw lots of failed suicides. Now, while he was thinking of suicide, he couldn't do that because he mm. saw the failures and to and to be lying in a in a nice bed with your family around you pressing a button and in 30 seconds you were asleep and gone did he press his own button yes and so, how was it administered yeah so so it's through a um an iv drip everything is video recorded over there so we were just with him my mother was holding his hand i was just rubbing his shoulders and um in in 30 seconds he was asleep mm. just Looking at your face as you tell us this story, it, it really does appear to me that this was a satisfying way, if, if I could use that word, yes, you to, can. to say goodbye. Yes, absolutely. You can use that word. Um, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what we did. Mm. It, was, it was a very hard thing to do mm. and, uh, and probably the, you know, the worst thing you could do is, is watching, just sitting and watching someone die like it, it's it's a bizarre thing but um look i know that that my family and and my mother are, are proud of what we did we we satisfied mark's last wish and right up until the end he was um so happy that this was happening mm. what's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from from your and your brothers and your family's experience so my brother was a very unique character um didn't mince words i'm sure that if he was still around he would have heard about this law that came into effect this week, and he would probably say something like, well, that's good, but it ain't going to help me. And it needs to go further? Yes, it does. Great to speak to you. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you very much. David Springer talking about his late brother, Mark. So let's find out whether the laws are likely to change so that people like Mark could one day access the end-of-life treatment. Linda Swan is the CEO of Go Gentle, which is a voluntary assisted dying advocacy group founded by Andrew Denton, the TV personality. Linda, thanks for joining us. Thank you. What do you make of a situation and an argument like David's where he feels the laws don't apply to enough people because his brother wouldn't have been able to access the voluntary assisted dying laws in New South Wales? Do you think they also need to be broadened? We've really got to balance the world that we exist in at the moment, which is we've now got laws passed in every state, which is an enormous achievement. Mm. So what this means is that for those people who are eligible, now there is a choice at the end of life. And I completely empathise that there are other groups of people that feel they should be eligible, but it was such a hard-fought debate 
at every parliamentary level across every state to agree on the eligibility criteria that we have. Mm. And part of the reason why they're quite strict is to be really sure to demonstrate that we can safely deliver voluntary assisted dying care across Australia. And the great news is that's happening. Mm. So we hear from the reports from the states that have gone before New South Wales that the care is being delivered as expected without any evidence of the bad things that people predicted might happen. Yeah, what are those arguments that you're needing to make, that you're needing to, I guess, convince people of? What were they really concerned about? What what were those predictions? So the one of the major concerns was that people were going to be coerced. Mm. Older people, vulnerable people were going to be coerced into uh, ending their lives early. So the type of safeguards that have been put in place is that people have to have a terminal illness, mm. which means they're dying. They also have to have two different doctors verify that they not only have a terminal illness, but they are expected to die within six months, 12 months for some conditions, between six and 12 months. So two independent doctors are determining that these people are dying, they have a terminal illness, and that there is no evidence of coercion. And Mm. doctors are trained to make those decisions and assessments. So that's the way uh, the laws have been built, to give assurances that there isn't coercion. Mm. And every case is reviewed by an independent review board to check if there was any evidence that somehow the requirements of the law weren't met. And there's been, you know, across the states, no issues with the voluntary assisted dying laws that have been rolled out. So you're treading very carefully. I imagine there'd be some people who saw you as as champions in getting the laws to this point. You know, when Andrew Denton started the organisation in 2016, we didn't have the laws in any state. It's gone from six states one by one around the country, as you say, a huge achievement. But now you're saying, let's not do anything more for now. Let's just talk. We've still got the territories to go. So we haven't even got all states and territories up yet. Tragically, we know from what's happened overseas, like Roe versus Wade, that legislation can be undone. That's a worst case scenario, that all the hard won gains are actually overturned or turned backwards. So we really need to demonstrate that the existing laws that are in place are working and working well. And for places like Victoria, I think the evidence is already there. They've been going for four, Mm. nearly five years. For New South Wales, for for the territories, it's still new. So we've still got some time to gather the evidence that the laws work and work well. And in the meantime, we need stories about how the limitations of the law are impacting on people's care and, and, and... we will still be very much the champion of the voice of of the people who are suffering at the end of life. I'm just trying to be realistic about the world that we live in and and how we have to navigate our way to a successful path. But I totally empathise with the people that are frustrated that it's slow. Linda Swan from Go Gentle. And currently the draft legislation in the ACT is open for consultation And it might end up with a wider eligibility criteria that may have included Mark Springer if he was a resident in the ACT. So that's something to keep an eye on. It'll be interesting to see the details of the legislation that's likely to pass in the ACT next year. That aside, it does sound like from what Linda was saying that it will be a very long time before voluntary assisted dying is more widely accessible. 